So for the cold open, <laughs> I wanted to sing a song that's best associated with this movie. And it goes a little something like this. And I said, what about breakfast at Tiffany? <laughs> she said, I think I remember the film. There's this I recall. I think we both kind of liked it. And I said, well, that's the one thing we got. Yeah, where was that song in this movie? I, 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 I kept waiting for it. It never came up. No, yeah, no, sir. Well, hello, and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What up? Watch rom-coms, and then record our thoughts and place them on the internet for the tens and tens of listeners. Listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing on this Chicago St. Patty Saturday? I am sad that we're not out partying. Like, oh really my god, me too. Day. Especially because of the fucking weather today. Oh it my is, god, it, it reached a high of fifty-eight, and it was sunny the entire day. If there was ever a day to be out drinking amongst people without fear of a pandemic, it would be today in Chicago. I saw picnics of people there. down in the park and stuff, and it like it totally got me in the mood for that community feel the camaraderie the socialization but we're not there yet man i know i know it's I'm killing just, me i'm waiting to hear like the numbers in texas jesus yeah Damn. or what was what was the other state that took off the the mask i'd assume florida if not i mean it was texas you might sure, you might be right yeah it was definitely texas i thought there was a second one too but either way yeah like it we're not there yet, and I don't want to push it. Like, I'm tempted, but mm -hmm. it's just... I'm glad they still dyed the river. Did you see that? Uh, yeah, they secretly dyed the river, they and I sent you a message died. of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty so stoked cool. on that. That was dope. As it should be. I mean, I, I can't even imagine, like, not being a Midwesterner, I can't even imagine what it is like for real Chicagoans who've lived there, lived here their whole lives to not have a St. Patty's mm. day two years in a row. Yeah. To, I mean, there are people, there'll be people like all through the downtown watching that river get tied amongst yeah. the skyline and the buildings and everything. Yeah. Speaking of downtown and skyline and buildings, we watched breakfast at Tiffany's this week. Oh, I thought you were going to go to the moon river route. Oh, no. That one made sense. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, I mean, I only recognize one song from this movie, and it's Breakfast at Tiffany's by that band. I think it's actually called Counting Blue Cars by Dishwalla. Which I think was the only color of taxi we didn't see <laughs> in this movie. They had a red fucking cab, a yellow cab, a green cab. The fuck New York in the 60s? Jesus. Oh, Counting Blue Cars is the other one that goes 
Tell me all your thoughts on God. Because I'm really on my way to meet her. <laughs> I don't know that one. Yeah. Fucking 90s music, man. <laughs> Fucking 90s. Like, <laughs> I, uh, I found a podcast. Um, shout out to this podcast. It's the 60 songs that explain the 90s. And it's done oh, yeah. by this guy named uh, Rob Harvilla. And it's done in conjunction with The Ringer. <laughs> but he's this really good music critic who like, writes really good articles and like is deep thinking about it. Okay. Um, I listened to his one about Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman. <laughs> and he connected... <laughs> That's my her... guilty pleasure song. Oh, no. And... <laughs> That's the thing. By the way, it's break- the song is called Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something. That's why I get County Blue Cars, Deep Blue Something mixed together. Wait, their their band name is literally Deep Blue Something? Yes. So Breakfast at Tiffany's. Of all nouns they could have picked, they just they went something. with something. Just something. They chose something. Guys, we need, a, we need a word here. Guys, we need a word. We're going on in five <laughs> seconds. We need something. That's it, right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like with Rob, like the what happens is he like they play clips of the song and they talk about where this artist like comes from and like their history and like kind of their biography and everything like that in this podcast. And the Shania Twain one, he connects the song to like a th- to her life in a way that was just like the song became so much deeper than it ever had a right to be. Well, I was looking into, I was looking into like all the music that was surrounding that movie and like some of the original music, like moon river, for example, like has Mm -hmm. meaning to it, but like, yeah, I can't imagine a nineties song having that much deeper fucking meaning. It's a nineties song. Well, that's the thing. He he also made a joke in this episode of the podcast about Shania Twain. Where he's like, "I also don't want to be the asshole who's who says all the happiest pop songs you heard are actually the most saddest songs." <laughs> he's like, <laughs> but that's kind of the argument he makes about man and be like a woman, because Shania Twain, like in her, uh, like her backstory is really harrowing. Like she had. Uh, she like her birth uh, Twain is the last name of her stepfather that she ended up taking. Mm. So the bad initial relationship with the initial father, uh, the mom and the stepfather died in a car crash simultaneously when Jesus, when she was young, but she was also the eldest of the family. So she took care of the family and uh, like, it kind of became the head of the family at a young age was trying to make it in the music business while like doing all this moved to the big city in Toronto when she was 18. And when she was in Toronto, she said she and her friends and like some of them were gay dudes. They would just like get fully made up to the absolute like brim, like do like the craziest shit with their hair and everything like that. And then they would go out to these gay clubs and just like, you know, dance their hearts out and everything else in Toronto. And so 
man, I feel like a woman. So he paused. So Rob Harvilla posits like in like later on in her memoir, she writes about how every single day there was something to do. There was a tour, there was a show, there was a this, there was a that. She basically in in her prime, she had three straight albums that sold over 10 million copies. Shit. <laughs> three straight albums that sold over 10 million copies. Damn. She was absolutely book solid for like nine years straight in the nineties to like early two thousands. And so she, and she writes in her memoir, how it was really hard to the point of she, she was like in a suite in Vegas and she was wondering about running through the window. She just had thoughts about running through the window. Jesus. But yeah, like that's how, like not opening the window, running through it. <laughs> so, man, I feel like a woman. He posits the theory that she's going back to that initial time when she was eighteen in Toronto, going out with her friends, unknown, free, mm. calling her hair, do it again. Yeah, man, she felt like a woman. And it was just like all this deeper meaning and everything else. I'm just like, this is my podcast. This is, this is for me. Coming my hair, yeah, doing a dare. Whoa, oh, yeah. I want to be free and feel the way I feel. Man, I feel like a woman. And you know, uh, one who everyone else assumes felt like a woman is. Audrey Hepburn and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, that um, that ought to be like a nice little intro for this episode then. We spend the first 10 minutes talking about Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman instead yeah. of having to deal with this fucking film. Well, you can find some similarities in their, in their background stories too. Horrible beginning life out in the country. Although in this case... Do, do we the country do we know that it was a horrible life for her out in the country? She and her slow brother that she was in charge of taking care of before the age of 14. They according to Doc Go Lightly, they were no account type people. So basically they've been alone and fending for themselves since birth. Her brother is slow, but not slow enough to not go into the fucking army. Well, and then, yeah, and then she, <laughs> I already forgot what the question was. Like, I don't know. I mean, I get that we get her, her story. Oh yeah. She a gets little taken bit. in by, she gets taken in by Doc Lightly and yeah, but her we, brother. We only get his side of the fucking story. We never really hear that much from her, just that, you know, she was a nobody and that her name was somebody that she doesn't associate with anymore. Well, she's, she tells him, I'm a wildling or whatever the fuck. She basically, she has no home to go to. She has no family to go to. Right. The only thing. The only family, the only thing she has in life is Fred, a slow brother who's actually a burden upon her, but right now is out on, in war. And so she has this odd feeling of like, she has to appreciate her freedom while she has it technically. But at the same time, she's worried about her brother, like the only thing that she really cares about in this world. Which it's 
terrifying and saddening, yet also a little extra freeing when she loses him. Yeah. But, in a way. I mean, yeah, either way. That, anyway, more to, more to discuss there. We haven't even gotten <laughs> into the specifics of it. Let's talk about that here. Breakfast at Tiffany's is a 1961 American romantic comedy film directed by Blake Edwards and written by George Axelrod, which was adapted from Truman Capote's 1958 novella of the same name. Uh, which that was already a 179 page novella. Why would you, why would you turn like you asked during the film? Why would you turn a Truman Capote movie into a rom-com or Truman Capote movie? book not movie. yeah like yeah he it's, it's, <laughs> already just, you're already know. starting in like the red <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, i i yeah i don't know i don't know he uh he was lifelong friends with harper lee who's that that is the woman who wrote to kill a mockingbird Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was a good book. And it was a good movie with Gregory Peck. Oh, yeah. It's Atticus Finch. It all comes full circle. Roman Holiday. (laughs) Yeah. Roman Holiday, man. I'm telling you. It set the bar way too high for this this Audrey Hepburn (laughs) sequel. Breakfast of Tiffany stars Audrey Hepburn as Holly Golightly. A naive, eccentric cafe society girl falls in love with a struggling <laughs> writer, played by George Peppard. Uh, a very forgettable. They don't even mention George his Peppard. name in this. Paul Varjak. <laughs> um, you mean Fred? It also featured Patricia Neal, Buddy Ebsen, Martin Balsam, and Mickey Rooney in supporting roles. Fucking Mickey Rooney. I. Breakfast at Tiffany's was theatrically <laughs> released by Paramount Pictures on October 5th, 1961. To critical and commercial success. What is the budget of the film? I'm going to make you guess both. Um, and this is in 61. October 61. 3 million. 2.5 million is the budget. Okay. How much did the movie gross? 20 million. It made 14 million. It's pretty good. So almost five times its budget. I mean, that's that, that goes to show that even in the 60s, star power holds its weight. Hepburn's portrayal of Holly Golightly is generally considered to be one of her most memorable and identifiable roles. Are you fucking kidding me? She regarded it as one of her most challenging roles since she was an introvert required to play an extrovert. Huh. Okay. The film received five nominations at the 34th Academy Awards. Best Actress. Best Adapted Screenplay. Wow. Best Production Design. That makes sense. It was yeah, really cool. Looking. It was. It was. It was very 60s chic, but we'll talk about that. And it won for best original score and best original song for Moon River. 
the song that played for literally 15 yeah. seconds. Well, if you listen closely, the score was basically that song. It was just yeah, strings but constantly playing in the background. It's not for for that to be the song that plays throughout the movie. I need a little bit more of a tie in to the movie than just her sitting on a balcony with a fucking ukulele or whatever the hell she had singing it for 15 seconds. The song comes out of nowhere. It's completely out of context, means absolutely goddamn nothing. Like. And then we never we never hear of it again. It just plays in the background throughout throughout the whole fucking movie. Like we're supposed to know what it means. Was I the only one that was annoyed by that? (laughs) I mean, there's plenty of songs that have nothing to do with the movies that they're in. I mean, like Dolly Parton's nine to five in the movie Working Girl. Those don't those aren't together. I can't even keep a straight face for that. I was gonna try to find uh, you. You know, you did you did pretty well with the straight face yeah. for a while. You had me fooled yeah, yeah. for a second. <laughs> uh, or the love song from Titanic for "My Heart Will Go On." Ah, <laughs> uh, poor Leo, your heart literally won't go on. <laughs> or remember me from the movie Coco, a movie about <laughs> dead spirits. It has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> uh, I mean, like I had to look up the history of moon river to figure out like i'm sure it's got a metaphorical meaning to it and shit but the more i read about it the more i realize it has more to do with the actual writer and composer than it has to do with the movie it's basic it's basically just henry mancini who is the guy that's famous for the pink panther theme by the way yeah was composed by henry mancini and the lyrics were written by johnny mercer johnny mercer basically wrote these lyrics to to talk about like missing your childhood or at least like the simplicity of younger days. And it's reminiscent of his childhood in Savannah, Georgia, including its waterways and Huckleberries. That's where Huckleberry friend comes in. I don't fucking. So it has nothing to do with New York city, Audrey Hepburn, the plot of the movie. So why, when you write a song for the movie, why, what the fuck? I don't think I don't necessarily. It doesn't necessarily mean that the movie was written for the song. It's just that the movie ended up coming out with the or the song come, ended up coming out with the movie. No, it's so, it, it was written for the movie. Oh, he wrote it for the movie. Well, yeah, you could you could kind of piece that together. I mean, I think the only similarity to have there is like, okay, when you when you think about the backstory, like, and you listen to the lyrics now with that context, yeah, I can see where it's about missing simpler times. Yeah, she wants to go back to simpler times where she's with her brother and taking care of him and that they're in a place of security, but at the same time. She keeps running away from things. She doesn't want to be married to Doc O'Leary, so she has to run away from Texas. And then she doesn't want to be in a cage and be a Hollywood actress with her agent in Hollywood, just, so she runs to New York. This is annoying. And now she feels like she's about to be caged in New York, so she was going to go to Brazil. I mean, from that context, yeah, it's nice. And I did always, like, this was, that was the only scene of the movie I'd ever seen before, and I didn't even know it was in this movie until we saw it. But... 
I always loved that scene. I've seen that before. I've listened to the song before. I love the song. It's like, it's calming and soothing. It's almost like a lullaby. It's, but it's also, there's something kind of longing about it. Like you can tell that it's kind of like singing about something that you miss. And I always picked up on that, but then to put it in the context of such a B fucking rated movie. I mean, see, I guess that pissed me I, off. I think it's because you liked the song and hated the movie. And, yeah. And you actually associate like feelings to the song. I never gave a fuck about this song once. So yeah. that's why I don't have any feelings about it. Like I never. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably but, right. So anyway, continue. Um, the film is considered culturally, historically, and or aesthetically significant by this U.S. Library of Congress and was selected to be preserved in the National Film Registry in 2012. Hmm. 2012 it took them to do that, huh? Well, I guess, was... yeah. Yeah. The internet didn't exist prior to that. <laughs> yeah, now. Now we basically have our own national registries all on the internet. Any, yeah. any nude pic that a woman <laughs> has sent is on the national registry of the internet. All right. So Rotten Tomatoes has 53 reviews for this film. Oh, boy. What is the Rotten Tomato score for this film? Oh, goody. I have a feeling this one is, this is going to be the Rotten Tomato score that brings us back down to earth a little bit and reminds me of just how inaccurate these scores can be. Um, I'm going to guess 85%. It is 89%. Damn. Damn, okay. That's actually kind of lower than I thought it might be. I figured they'd give it something in the 90s. The audience score based on 100,000 ratings is 91%. Okay. What movie did they watch? 91% of the general public that have over 100,000 people who felt compelled to write a review for this film liked it. So this is going to be... One of those we episodes. Are in the 9%. Yeah, this is going to be one of those episodes where. <laughs> we are in the 9%. <laughs> okay. Uh, the critics' consensus it contains some ugly anachronisms. <clears throat> Mickey Rooney. <clears throat> but Blake Edwards, the director, is at his funniest in this iconic classic, and Audrey Hepburn absolutely lights up the screen. Hmm. I thought she was better in Roman Holiday. Extremely better. Extremely better. Um, James Breen of Sight and Sound wrote, it can be faulted as a narrative and it doesn't take a serious moral view. Thank but you. People who queriously insist on such points have clearly not surrendered to Miss Hepburn's magic spell. She's uh, not spellbounding in the film. No, That's the thing. in the other movies, everyone, everyone's basically saying like it seems like the consensus of this film, just from 
just general opinions of Breakfast at Tiffany's is, oh my God, Audrey Hepburn looks so good in a exactly. black dress with pearls on. It's Audrey Hepburn. That's the saving grace to every it, single fucking one of these. Not even fucking Audrey Hepburn's performance or what she says in the film. No one has probably even watched the fucking film. They just know the picture of her in the black dress yep. with the gloves with the on and the really long stick with the cigarette. Yep. And it's an, such an iconic look as in, like L-E-W-K look that that people just immediately assume quality to this film. And it's like, no, you just think she looks cool in one thing. Also, they never had breakfast at Tiffany's. She, at the very beginning, eats a croissant and uh, dips it in her coffee at the window of breakfast at Tiffany's. That's the breakfast at Tiffany's. That's the breakfast at Tiffany's. That's the breakfast at Tiffany's. All right, I, you you're like, okay. I don't know what you expected. I don't know why you expected more. <sighs> I expected a real fucking story. Like, why some, did you expect? Did you literally expect there to be a fucking table brought into the goddamn Tiffany's and Company store? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I thought. Here I'm thinking like, okay, if you're gonna have like, they're gonna like. There's going to be some motherfucking omelet chef that just wheels the fuck out. It's so hard of the diamonds. What kind of omelet would you like? We're out of mushrooms. Like, what the fuck did you think was going to happen with the breakfast and Tiffany's? That would be badass. Um, well, first of all, I must say, going into this, I legitimately didn't know it was breakfast at Tiffany's, like Tiffany's Diamond Store, like Tiffany's & Co. Oh, shit. I did. I thought it was you like it was breakfast some at someone's, it's like her friends named <laughs> Tiffany. Like, <laughs> like, hey, we no, had breakfast can't... at Tiffany's, and this is how I met this dude, and we fucking lived happily ever after. Boom! There's a better fucking rom com than this two hour bullshit I just watched. She gets really well dressed to go to her friend Tiffany's place. <laughs> I don't know how high society did it in the sixties, man. Maybe breakfast oh, at Tiffany's was like. Fuck, yeah mimosas and monocles and shit Ugh. so um, let me see if I can Jesus. find another critic breakfast at fucking Tiffany's wasting my money okay also Mark Bourne side- of film.com wrote the final scene a tender sequence that you can sop up with a sponge. Oh, fuck off. But if you aren't moved by it, you probably stick kittens with pins. No, we just watch better movies than this. And also, like, the cat's in the fucking situation because she threw him out the fucking car. Yeah. This is her fault to begin with. And animals die all the time in the streets. Also, the cat's... It's a cat. It's a city cat. It's not going to die. Like right away, like just throwing it into the street. It's not gonna, you didn't throw it into like a six lane highway. Yeah, you, you threw it into an alley. It'll be fine. Alley cat, alley. <laughs> no, that's not what. Smelly cat, smelly cat, yeah. smelly cat. Anyway, uh, Peter Bradshaw of the Guardian wrote, "Well, the movie still looks very good." And you'd need a heart of stone not to love the cat. I, the 
Cat didn't have that big of a role. Another review that's considered good by Kath Clark of Time Out wrote, it's as ditzy and delightful as ever, with charm enough to forgive it plenty. Okay, I'm noticing a trend here. That they yeah, are they are I'm finding ways to justify ignoring, that it's terrible. They're ignoring the faults of this film, much like Audrey Hepburn's character, Holly Golightly, ignores the responsibilities of life that she's supposed to take in, in, in her life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I, and I'm here to splash a goddamn bucket of cold water on it all. Same with you, I'm sure. Because now that we've seen Sabrina, Roman Holiday, Roman Holiday, we've seen other performances by Audrey Hepburn. We have some context here. So Audrey Hepburn is no longer the deciding factor in this movie because now we know what to expect from her. Yeah. And with that knowledge, I can easily say this was not her best performance. Easily. That's not to say that she performed badly. Yeah. This is like, this is past his prime Buster Posey trying to carry a terrible San Francisco Giants with absolutely no other offense. She's overacting. She's like carrying the whole fucking movie because there's nothing else redeemable about it. I would equate this to hmm hmm trying to find the perfect sports I guess I would equate it to like like Dan Marino oh in the Niners <coughs> No, he played for the Dolphins, dude. I thought he played for the Niners. You're thinking Joe Montana. Joe Montana. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Not the same guy. Not the same guy. Uh, Dan Marina, who in his last game in his career, <coughs> he threw like four interceptions in a game where they lost 63 to 14. He is considered one of the greatest passers, but if you look at his statistics at the, at his time, they're actually not that great as statistics if you compare him to passers today. Okay. But if you watch John Marino, <coughs> sorry, you'll know that Dan Marino, when he was on fire, no one could throw a ball better. Okay. So yeah, for the time, he was he was one of the best. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, and I think this is no exception. Like Audrey Hepburn was great in this movie. Like she wasn't a bad spot. Like she in was the still movie. good enough cuz that's the thing about that was the other thing about Dan Marino I forgot to mention. In like in his last season, he's literally like limping around. Like he's he should not be playing football anymore. His body is breaking down in front of him. Right, right. 
And so where we thought Tom but, Brady was like three years ago and he still hasn't gotten yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. But he also before that 63 to 14 loss in the playoffs, the week before he took Miami to the to Seattle, to the kingdom, and he helped them beat Seattle in the first round of the playoffs. Okay. So he still had the capability to lead them to a victory, but he just needed some help from his supporting cast. Makes sense. And then his supporting cast completely shit the fucking bed in the next in the next game. Yeah. That next game is breakfast at Tiffany's. You're with me. You and I are on the same wavelength now. Yep. Yep. Like this is a 63 to 14 blowout. Yep. Not like, in Breakfast Tiffany's favor. And and you putting it in the context of that she had to act beyond her capability, not capability, that's the wrong word, but her comfort zone yeah. that she is naturally an introvert, introvert. She has a lane. Yeah. And it's like, and yeah, she- and she played to that in her previous roles. Mm-hmm. And in this role, you lose, you use her looks just for filling a role. And it's like, I feel like you could have cast someone else for this. This is not Audrey Hepburn. Like the most Audrey Hepburn I saw her in the movie was that Moon River part where she's showing a bit of vulnerability whilst being herself. And she's yeah. just being cute. And it's a, the word comes with a connotation, but I mean it without the connotation, but she's being very average. She's just like your girl next door. She's just average. She's Audrey Hepburn. I wouldn't fucking cast her to play high society. And the fact that, I don't know, the fact that she's like labeled as, like you said, like we all think of Audrey Hepburn with that image of her with the long cigarette in the black dress. It's like, but that's not who she was at all. So, so we talked about Audrey Hepburn's performance a little bit there, and that was stemmed off of those reviews. And we talked about how there was a bit of a theme in the reviews there with the Rotten Tomatoes, and they all talk about the 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 magic and the majesty of this film, and it's just where. Where is that? And Audrey Hepburn, I don't like know. like we said, we're they're they're looking for her to carry it, and there there really isn't. I think the only other thing you said was the set design, like the production design. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Like they had, I mean, a lot of really cool shots in New York. Or, yeah, the cool the shots of, like going up yeah. the buildings and then like, and that was at them from the street level. That was at a time where cool like the Art Deco style in New York was was now like. 40 years old, 30 years old, and it was starting to be revered a little bit more, especially in combination with all this new modern stuff going on, these big square glass boxes that were going up everywhere. So, like, New York was taken off in terms of the ritzy shit. So, like, I get that, and they definitely showed that. They started showing, like, this high-class, lavish lifestyle that was really cool. Like, her apartment, some of the shots in there were really cool. And, like, of course, I'm sure the whole, like, door buzzer thing was totally brand new technology mm-hmm. back then. <laughs> but and it's just yeah, the the sixties itself is just like this weird chic period. Yeah. 
that is just so you know it when you see it. Well, because you had, you had a you had a massive like confluence of all of these different styles. You had the leftover ideas from like the 40s and 50s, which is where you get this like this high class coming from that now they're like the old money. And mm-hmm. so you have that more ritzy lifestyle and then the other end of the spectrum you have like the the hippie movement, you know, and the like that side of the 60s. So you have like this and then everything in between, this whole like wide spectrum of ideas, both old and new, and the styles that match those ideas. So it was cool yeah. to see that side of things. And I thought it was helpful for her storyline, too, because she obviously like comes from she's a nobody from nowhere, comes to the big city. And gets lured into the idea that all of these lavish things is something that she wants in order to to find happiness. Mm -hmm. Like that is a very good theme that you could have fucking run with more, but they didn't. Let's let's expound upon that because that's the one good thing from the entire hour, 50 minute movie. Yeah. And that's the speech, not even the speech, the four lines of dialogue yeah paul gives to uh holly in the cab like as, when, yeah, as he gets out of the, of the cab yeah where he tells her you know she's built that cage around herself and no matter where she goes she's gonna be stuck in it yeah that's very true i thought that was i'm so glad they finally actually got to that point where they were saying it or putting it right out there in the open because it was like mm-hmm. been building to this it's about time that you somebody told her like hey none of this shit's going to make you happy it comes it starts with you first you're building yeah. this this perception for yourself yeah. you're you're building these expectations you got to get rid of those first before you can be happy yeah and she obviously doesn't know who she is or what she wants in life because she's never allowed her to think that far. She's obviously a very good candidate for therapy. <laughs> I think everyone in the sixties was <laughs> everyone, everyone, <laughs> everywhere is <laughs> everyone, everywhere at all times. Really. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, that's not the truth. Yeah. So, but that, is the found like so that horrible thing like that's not a healthy thing no and 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 that's not and and that's what's used as the foundation for all the things that happen in this movie which i get if it's about her growth if it's about her growing and everything but do we actually see her grow no we just see a guy who's insistent Upon playing Captain Savaho. Yup. Who says she belongs to him. Oh my god. How many fucking times does he say that? He said at one point he owns her. <laughs> and that, that someday she'll realize that that's the way things are. Or to some to some extent like that. Like, yeah. Like god damn I get that it was a different time. But Jesus. Like the fuck yo. Jeez. I mean, okay, let's 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 think 
hypothetically for a second, maybe back then it meant metaphorically that, or that he was speaking metaphorically that, you know, she would need to settle down and that's what would really make her happy. As if he knew, first of all, what would actually make another human being happy. It still doesn't sound right, even in that hypothetical. Because I thought about that as he was saying it at the end when he's getting out of the cab. Because that scene alone, he says it like three or four times in like a minute, minute and a half span. And I was sitting there thinking like, okay, what if he's just getting out of the car and he's just saying to her in a different way, like, look, someday you're going to realize like, you just got to be happy. And the way to be happy is to open yourself up to someone. Even if that is the way you say it, you still don't say it. You belong to me. Like, what the fuck? Is that like, just is that just so she can say no I'm wild cuz she was saying that the whole damn movie The Paul Varjak whole dude guy He was annoying as fuck. He was. <laughs> He's just like like George Peppard is I not I have nothing to say about him. There was nothing really after this movie about him like there's a reason why he was pretty fucking blah to play. And like, there's a reason he had to keep spelling his goddamn name to people (laughs) because no one gave a fuck. No one gives a fuck about you. (laughs) I mean, the fact that even the girl that he is swooning over keeps calling him by her brother's name. Fred. Yeah. (laughs) I think at one point, doesn't he even say, like, he gets mad at her for calling him Fred. Like, doesn't he say, like, God damn it, no, my name is. Yeah, that's when he was. Well, because she calls him Fred at the library when he initially tells her that he loves her. Yeah. So, okay, you're professing your love for this person. And then she continues to call you the wrong name. Insistently. Insistently. Yep. Which she's been calling you from pretty much day one. And I mean, even from his standpoint, dude, don't you see how toxic this is? Mm-hmm. So like you of all people are probably not in a position to preach to her about being in the, like following your heart and doing what truly makes you happy. Because I can guarantee you swooning over someone like that who's not reciprocating on any level is not making you happy. Just like her, you're just you're just bringing the drama to yourself. Come on. Yeah. 100%. And j- <laughs> There's so much like he's basically he's the other man in this relationship with an older woman who literally has him staying in her room or in her apartment that she has for side pieces oh, God, yeah. from her husband that she's hiding. 
So, and so right there, I guess pray. you're right. He already doesn't have any self-respect. So never mind. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I, so, I mean, I, I mentioned that Truman Capote probably wrote this about himself, right? In the novella. I don't think you did mention that, but it makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, he's obviously, so he's pulled the old writer's trick of making the main character a writer. So therefore you've given free reign to write about your own personal life experiences within this. Right. And so, you know, like, I just, this was good enough as a Truman Capote novella. Like this didn't need to be made as a film and turned into a rom-com. And then in order to play that comedy, they pull a bunch of physical bits that aren't funny. They try to basically do a Roman holiday in New York. Yeah. But amongst <laughs> with, with the Truman Capote novella as the script. She literally said at one point, let's, yeah. let's go, let's go spend a day doing all the things we've never done before. <laughs> Yeah. Like, no, you already did this. All right. And it was fine with Gregory Peck. But think about it. All all the comedy in this film was basically physical and like gags. Yeah. Like the party scene when he cl- crawls through someone's legs to answer the phone. Uh, yeah. They go as far as yellow face with oh, Mr. Yoshi. Uh, we don't need to talk about it. It's obviously the, the worst. Yeah. The fucking worst. It's been covered. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And so they try to go that route to bring in extra comedy. And so we're looking at all of that. Is it even a, like do, you, like, do you know if the novella is even like romantic? Is it actually a romance, a romance story? No, like the novella obviously sounds like, because it's set in like 43, 44. And the initial Holly Golightly character was 18 or 19. So it's obvious that Truman Capote, who was born in 24, was released in 58. So he's probably in his like late 20s, maybe like early 30s when he writes this. He probably wrote it about an experience he had when he first moved to New York. And he was a writer when he was coming up and some of the women that he met. And so there's, I guess it's a combination of like four socialite women that he was friends with while in New York mm. that, and like their experiences that he just kind of put together into one character. <clears throat> so, okay. So then they decided to, to take a romantic and comedic spin from that. Yeah. And okay. it just felt like a studio that had like, Hey, we bought this Capote novella. Like <laughs> what should we do with it? Uh, make it a rom-com. What? I mean, you can make anything a rom-com. Get a, here's, here's two and a half million. Go get Audrey Hepburn and make a rom-com. Yeah, and and with all the context now of, of watching her previous roles, it, it really does feel like, like exactly that. They just went and cast her because she was the pretty face of rom-coms prior to that. But it's like she wasn't even playing high society prior to that. That still doesn't make any sense for casting choice. Well, 
like I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. So let's finish. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really kiss, not worth it. Well, the kiss is when they come back from their holiday, and they kiss in the entryway, and that's implied that they probably banged. <laughs> Although but, he, it's the '60s and they're high society, kind of. They're they are they get paid to. Well, she doesn't get paid for sex. She gets paid to flirt with old dudes, and she tries to find old dudes. He literally gets paid for sex. Yeah, she left him money on the on the fucking table after fucking. Um, so I think they fucked anyway. I, uh, How does one even find themselves in that position? <laughs> I give the kiss a D because there's some felt like there's some legit feeling behind it, but I just give it a D. That's it. Yeah, yeah, D. It, uh, it was literally just pressing two faces together. There was no, there was more yeah. passion in the final kiss than there was in that one. So, uh, as far as what happens after, after, I think it's pretty simple. In a few weeks, uh, you know, she opens her big trap about the whole uh, Sally Tomato thing, gets put into witness protection, and then gets sent to some podunk area and takes on a new identity. And because they're not married and not like together for real, and they probably have another, she doesn't want to be in a cage. They probably end up breaking up before she goes into witness protection. And so they end up not together. And then she probably tells her her original identity anyway to someone while in witness protection and then gets whacked anyway. So. Thank you. Good night. (laughs) On to the verdicts. I killed this movie. This movie frustrated the hell out of us. We got 32 minutes in and I had to read the plot synopsis from Wikipedia to know what exactly happens in the movie so that we, Max and I could stop trying to figure out the movie and try to uh, grade the performances. He did. And then we watched the rest of the movie and the rest of the movie sucked. Yep. It's pretty terrible. The best part was when they were in the strip uh, strip joint and and it was a stripper. She had a very (laughs) nice rack. Anyway, Max, what is your verdict? Kill it. All right, we've killed the movie. Fuck Breakfast at Tiffany's. Max, you did this to us. I'm sorry. I thought, <laughs> see, this is why I don't trust critically acclaimed shit anymore. I'm fucking tired of it. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's see, the whole point of this podcast is to try new, you know, try new movies with a with purpose. But, man, you guys are really making me question that. 91% of the audience thinks this is a good movie. I don't Fuck fucking you. get it. I don't fucking get dick. it. It's terrible. She, <laughs> 91% can eat a dick. You want, you want. I'm, I'm kidding. Any of the tens and tens of listeners who actually do like that movie, we respect your opinion. You're free, you're free to like that. It's okay. We just don't get it. Actually, you know what? I'd be curious to know why these people actually like it because those reviews certainly didn't clue me into anything. Those basically just I mean, said yeah. Audrey Hepburn's in it, so watch it. But. Audrey Hepburn, she looks so cool. Yeah. Oh my god, New York City, it looks so cool. Oh my god, she, the magic. She, she has yeah. so many better roles. So like, if you want Audrey Hepburn, watch another movie and then go YouTube to classic 
scenes or hell, you don't even need YouTube. Go to Google images and look up the classic looks of it. Like her you outfit. You want to see Audrey Hepburn in New York? Watch Sabrina. Technically they're in New York because it's Long Island. Oh yeah. Yes. All right. Well, you can find our socials. Our podcast Instagram is at bromancing the stone podcast. All one word together, bromancing the stone podcast. And then you can find uh, our Twitter at bro the stone pod. And that's B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. I did live tweet this movie and I only made it one live tweet long. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> um, so, that's really all you needed to say. Yeah. Uh, then my Twitter is at supermarket sweep without the E in super. So S U P R market sweep. And then uh, my Instagram is at relusa88, and that's R-E-L-U-S-A-8-8. Then Max? On Instagram, you can find me at the Lionhearted with a period, which is T-H-E period L-Y-O-N-H-E-A-R-T-E-D. And on Twitter, you can find me at the Lionhearted with an underscore T-H-E underscore L-Y-O-N-H-E-A-R-T-E-D. Yes. All right. So... For the next film, it's my choice. I want to choose one that I know that I'm going to enjoy. All right. Yeah, like I just I want to get the taste of this movie out of our mouths yeah. as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a movie I told you about, but it's one that I don't think a lot of people have seen. All right. And it's a very not well known movie from recently um it is called plus one it's on hulu it came out in 2019 plus one it's a very small independent film uh but it's a rom-com its initial release Uh, was in russia (laughs) (laughs) really yeah and it's the rom-com with the the girl and the guy and the girl is drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's the one. Um, so it's a wedding season movie, but I'm not going to wait till wedding season on it. We also have plenty so, of wedding themed movies. I'm sure we could do. Yeah. I'm sure we could find. Yeah. We're not going to do as big of a wedding season as we did last year. Uh, we're probably just going to stick to one month. Of writing movies, so longtime friends Alice and Ben find themselves in that inevitable year that all late twenty somethings experience. Oh, please, please, <laughs> we're past that. <laughs> and it was more of my like early to mid twenties, like it was. Uh, oh, in I, which in which seemingly every person they know gets married. Yeah, that's still happening. <laughs> it's been happening it's not a late 20s experience it's just it starts when you're in your mid 20s and it never stops so wait till you get to the age where people get remarried <laughs> man that's what i'm waiting for it's about time for another ho- wedding party i have exes that have already gotten remarried <laughs> hey nice <laughs> dodge the bullet big guy i know right <laughs> Well, until then, for the tens and tens of listeners, we love y'all. And we thank you for listening to this. Uh, sorry it wasn't more better, but we wish this movie was more better. Yeah. Uh, we will catch you next week. Have a great rest of the week, y'all.
Love you guys. Happy St. Patty's Day. Hey. <laughs> no, uh, Dropkick Murphys. Oh. <coughs> the, I'm shipping off to Boston. Yeah. Uh. Yep. Anyway, all right. Bye, guys. Bye.